Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's episode we're talking about your one and four Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about Cade Cunningham's debut, a possible change to the starting lineup, and Dwayne Casey's love for this Pistons bench unit. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Happy Halloween, Ben. Hey, Laz. Same to you. And uh, let's just get this out of the way. Congratulations to all of our Spartan fans, including lazarus jackson on yesterday's big win let's get it out of the way like let's just it's the okay. elephant in the room let's just say it good wins right. marty i was i was gonna ask about it at the uh, at the end that was a uh that was a very close game that was, a, that was a really good game which is all you can ask for but i wasn't i wasn't gonna tease you uh too much ben that's all right that yeah. it was inevitable um i felt like michigan was just destined to choke and uh they did so but man Sparty's running game just ran wild. I mean, I was never scared of that quarterback. Uh, so I knew if we could get it close that he'd mess up eventually and uh, we'd get there. But speaking of dudes named Cade, mm-hmm. Ben, we got Cade Cunningham back. All Cade all the time on this uh, this year podcast. He scored uh, two points, had seven rebounds, two assists, a block, and two turnovers in his debut. What do you think of Cade Cunningham, Ben? It looked like he was a rookie who hadn't played in a month, right? Like, <laughs> uh, okay, so he took good shots, I thought. Um, the thing that impressed me a lot this summer about Cade was, you know, he didn't look like he was trying to prove himself as some sort of, like, you know, alpha male dominant, you know, sort of score all the points kind of guy. And he just mm-hmm. took his time. He was comfortable. And didn't force anything, right? But on the flip side, you know, obviously the jumper looked rusty. He had one that I think like hit the side of the backboard. He just looked like he hadn't played in a while, and that that was very, very obvious. I will say the main positive I saw, um, and I'm not sure if it was the whole team or just him, but he looked like he wants to run. And man, we've been begging for that forever. So, you know, I was a fan of that. Um, you know, he, he got the ball and he, he pushed. I think a couple times he was maybe the only guy trying to push, but he pushed. So maybe he will be the player that gets Dwayne Casey out of the uh, snail's pace offense. But yeah, man, I don't know. He just, he, he looked like he hadn't played in a month and it, it, it was a lot of rust. And I, I think Casey kind of called that before the game and uh, he was absolutely right. Yeah. The shooting rust, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything else was there, right? The the defense was on point. He had, of course, the the infamous like welcome to Detroit moment with the shot clock violation. Um, I think it was like that's 
that's real. That's a really funny highlight to put on, uh, like on the timeline for people. Is just like, hey, here's here's Cade diving on the floor to to force a turnover, um, instead of like you know him scoring twenty. But I think that was kind of emblematic of his night. He made some really nice passes. Um, that because uh, like we're gonna talk about the guys can't shoot right now. That did not turn out to be assists. I'm sure that had to give him just uh, nightmare flashbacks to his time at Oklahoma State. Uh, but what stuck out to me was that you know immediately uh the magic came out trapping him hmm. which is uh a level of respect you don't often see given rookies even you know number one overall pick rookies to just immediately throw like uh the kitchen sink at him uh defensively from like from from tip off essentially and he handled it really well again uh you know didn't get only had two assists but uh promoted ball movement in a way that left me comfortable that he will get uh he'll be a a good playmaker and be a good distributor um as time goes on uh other big things like ripple effects from Cade only played what 19 minutes uh they said before the game he was on a minutes restriction we do know that he will not be playing tonight in brooklyn on the back-to-back so he's still not full go did he look I know you said he looked rusty, Ben, but did he look like a guy who uh, are you are you are you concerned at all about the ankle? Did he look like a guy who was favoring the ankle in any way? I don't know, Les, unless you saw something I didn't. I sure didn't. He looked completely healthy to me. Just I did notice one time when they zoomed in on him, he was breathing kind of hard, but that obviously has nothing to do with his ankle. That's just normal sure, yeah. conditioning, right? Yeah. Uh, I didn't see anything that made me think, yeah, he's still got a lingering injury. Um I think there was the quote uh, from some of the beat guys that, you know, my ankle is fine, I think was what I saw in quotes post game. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't, it didn't look concerning to me. Okay. Well, then that, that holds out some hope for me that we'll see him on back to backs and in sometime in the future, maybe not the first, uh, his first return to action, but like sometime in the future, and that the minutes restriction will be lifted shortly, right? Like as soon as like in the next week or two um last week we talked about the our three main struggles with the offense being the lack of shooting or the lack of like balls going through the rim uh the turnovers and the like style of play the post-ups the lack of ball movement all the isolation play uh which which one of those things did Cade uh fix and if the answer is none that <laughs> yeah. that's kind of fine yeah that the the offense was still painful. <laughs> um, you know, I tweeted this out. It's a good thing they were playing the magic, right, for Cade's first game because it uh, it allowed him to get a win. But man, the offense was still dreadful to watch. If I'm being perfectly honest, I mean, Jeremy Grant had a nice game. It was nice to see him take a big chunk of minutes and score the ball efficiently. Uh, but yeah, the offense remains just. There's not a lot. There's there's some movement here and there, but it's still very dribble heavy. It's very ISO heavy, especially now that Sadiq is ISOing more, kind of from the mid post. Like it, yeah. It, Cade didn't Cade didn't change the world in 19 minutes. That's for sure, and that's not a criticism of him at all. That's a criticism of the team's offense as a whole. I actually liked the way that they were moving the ball in the first half uh, when like when he when he was first on the floor, but. It didn't result in easy baskets or the the shots that they took, they missed. And so it didn't result in any any better offense. And 
it was not it didn't carry over uh past halftime right like in his in his third quarter minutes i did not get that same sense it was it was a lot of the same and so i was i am hopeful that like you talked about as Cade kind of pushes the tempo and forces the team to run a little bit they get out of that drudgery but uh yeah that was uh that was that was disconcerting and something i was worried about um people will remember uh, a couple weeks ago uh, on the podcast um last last Cade ripple Cade was in the lineup Hamadou Diallo was not is that the right choice um, it, I think it was the right choice for game one. I think they're still trying desperately to find some shooting and Frank Jackson isn't really providing it. So I would not expect that to stay the same. I would expect that to change it up, especially if Frank doesn't start hitting some shots. Um, you know, as a temporary measure, I think it's fine. I think Casey has certainly showed willingness to readjust the rotation on the fly. Right. And I would expect Tommy to get his looks and his minutes. At some point, again, especially if, if Frank Jackson can't start hitting some shots. Yeah, I mean, Kay's not going to play tonight, right? So Nami will enter the rotation, as, I assume, like as soon as tonight. But uh, I thought it was interesting that they continued to prioritize floor spacing as opposed to rim pressure, like even for the, the bench lineups. Um, we're going to talk about the bench in a little bit, but... Uh, yeah, it was interesting that, you know, with Frank being able to not buy a basket and Hami um, not being aggressive as I think they would they would like him to be, um, that they chose kind of the, the guy that they think can continue to keep the floor spaced over um, the, the guy who attacks the rim a little bit better. I thought that was interesting. All right, Ben, uh, next up is Sadiq Bey. You tweeted during uh, the Orlando game, I missed last season's Bay. This season's Bay is way overextended. On the other hand, He's averaging 17 points, nine rebounds, and two assists. And he would be scoring even more if he weren't shooting an uncharacteristic 70% from the line. And I think an uncharacteristic 32% from three. With uh, with K back in the lineup, did you think Bay was a little less overextended uh, against the Magic, Ben? Well, you know, context, that's a pretty pithy tweet from me and obviously doesn't say everything I would want to say about Sadiq Bay. So it's well, a good thing well, I have a good yeah, thing I have a podcast, yeah. right? Yeah. Um so part of it is individual to Sadiq. I think more of it though is about how isolation heavy the offense has become and how you know ultimately that's leading to some pretty abysmal offense overall. Um you know, Sadiq's individual skill set has grown tremendously over the course of the sauce. Even there's absolutely no question about that. And I think if you look at his body of work in just these handful of games, his efficiency has actually stayed up, right? Like overall, it's actually stayed up in spite of a, a couple of tough outings uh, early in the season. But, you know, I, I think what I do miss some of was, um, you know, from a season ago, it's just his ability to knock down wide open threes after a nice bit of ball movement. And I don't know, like that part of it, his game seems to have maybe got lost in the shuffle a little bit. So that's kind of what I was driving at. Um, I, yeah, I think you're right. His, his efficiency numbers are still good. His scoring is obviously way up. He's rebounding the ball like a monster. So I don't necessarily mean that as a criticism of him, but more about like, I think they're being a little bit too dependent on, giving him the ball in the high post or the mid post. And then everyone just kind of stands around. And I don't, I ultimately don't think that's going to be viable long-term for the team's offense. 
I I agree. I think it was noticeable to me, at least, that in the Philadelphia game, he isolated a little bit less and uh, just hit uh, and hit a couple more threes in the fourth quarter and um, like had one of his better nights uh, offensively. Um, this is going to be like this is going to be something we talk about for the rest of the season, only because like these. It's like this is a short-term pain that hopefully results in a long-term game, uh, long-term gain with Sadiq Bay. You know, you know, reaching a level offensively that uh, we didn't expect him to reach in his second or third year. But from a night in and night out basis, like that's it's going to produce some not amazingly pretty basketball. Uh, and so we'll just continue to monitor this. And I think the free throw thing is also kind of noticeable. Um, I, I wonder if the uh the the added pressure offensively the added like offensive possessions is making him uh, a little more uh like physically drained and if that's showing up in his free throw numbers that's that you know, like i don't expect it to continue i expect he'll shoot the like 85 percent or so he shot last year in time but i did think it was like noticeable that um you know he missed a couple free throws to start the philly game he didn't shoot amazing from the line against the bulls and so um yeah, it's just like that's going to come. And if he's going to isolate more and if he's going to drive to the basket and do like those scoop shots and stuff, he's going to if he's going to continue to like pump fake and get guys in the air and draw fouls in that manner, it's going to be really important for him to make his free throws. That's going to keep that efficiency up. And so, uh, you know, we hope that improves as well as the shooting. But, yeah, I think with Cade, um, I was hoping Cade would take some of that out of his hands. And it in the first half, it kind of did, kind of didn't. Um, but yeah, we're going to Sadiq is Sadiq is like numerically product, like production wise, just rapidly expanding what, what we, uh, thought he was capable of, but, um, it's the balance of that is going to, you know, be something worth watching for the, for the rest of the season. So I'm really glad you mentioned, um, I don't know if fatigue is the right word, but the wear and tear, I guess it probably is fatigue of absorbing all of that contact. Because his three-point shooting numbers have dropped a little bit too, and again, it's only five games, but his attempts are pretty much at the same level. Yep. So it it does make me wonder. It, you know, we talked about Jeremy Grant and how his season kind of fell off as, uh, as the year went on, and we speculated. You know, maybe that has to do with all the contact he's absorbing all the time. Um, you know, I wonder maybe something like that's going on with Sadiq as well because uh, free throw shooting. You know, that's an easy thing to just lose focus if you're tired. So we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that. No, definitely. Uh, speaking of Jeremy Grant, Jeremy Grant missed the Philly game with an elbow infection, which uh, you, I hope he's doing better. Um, and he's had two good games and two bad games. He did everything but make his threes against Orlando, scoring 22 points, shooting 10 free throws, seven rebounds, which is, I know, I know something that we've been, we've been harping on five assists and only one turnover. So He's uh, averaging 17 points per game, but his efficiency is like in the basement. I think he's shooting under 40% from the floor and under 25% from three. Ben, this is a weird question, but is Jeremy Grant like similarly overextended, just like Sadiq Bay? That's a good question. Um, I mean, his so his shot attempts are down across the board prior to the Orlando game. The thing I noticed was that his free throw rate was also way down from a season ago. It's picked back up, you know, which can happen when you're talking about. Yeah, when you shoot four free throws in a game, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, here's what I'll say. In the Orlando game, I felt like he 
looked more like Jeremy Grant that we saw start the season than he had so far. And so I'm I'm gonna hope that we've just seen a bit of an aberration. So that that's what I'm hoping for. Um, you know, there have been things happening. You know, defensively, he's been doing things this season that he he rarely did a season ago. Um, that's obviously taking some energy and some effort. Um, so you know, maybe maybe there's also a bit of uh, reluctance to make him score 23 points a game if you've got some of these other weapons that you hope you can count on uh you know Sadiq Bay, Cade Cunningham when he's healthy and that kind of a thing. Um is he overextended? Uh I hope not because <laughs> you know he, he's got to play defense, he's got to rebound and he's got to score, you know. That's what he's getting paid to do. So you know, hopefully he can do all three of those things at the same time over the course of an 82 game season. I think he's a I think he's a little overextended only in that neither one of us really thinks that he's the number one option on a good to great team but as it's as things stands right now he kind of is the number one option for this Pistons team and so he's kind of overextended in that manner right if he was the you know second or third option behind a you know fully developed and fully capable like Cade Cunningham I think we feel a lot better about where Jeremy uh, is you know going into like any given game, but uh, yeah, I was noticing a lot of the same things that you were noticing with the free throw attempts. That's something that has been really big. I thought he should have got more calls against Chicago. That didn't happen, but but still, you know, you know, if you don't go to the line, you don't go to the line. Um, I've liked the activity on the glass. I've liked the activity on on defense in general for Jeremy. Um, I would <laughs> like with as bad as the offense is. Um, I would I would rather see him, you know, conserve a little bit of that energy on defense in order to keep in order to get the offense going, but I don't but I also don't think uh the way he's like choosing to go is like the best way to get uh, offense out of him, right? We've seen we've seen more catch and shoot attempts out of Jeremy uh in the last couple of like from 3 in the last couple of games, which is good. Um, but there's still also a lot of like isolation play. Um, they're not, they're not working well enough to give him an advantage to try and score, which is something I think they did a good job of in the first Chicago game and haven't done a great job of since. And so with, you know, a lot of these problems for, you know, Sadiq and Jeremy just stem to the, the offense, Uh, the offense is treating these guys like they're, uh, you know, superior on-ball creators when they're both like still developing that aspect of their game, and it's having predictable results. Uh, I, I, yeah, the results. Yeah, it's having predictable results for sure. It's just, uh, and like I can't, you can't complain, right? Because Sadiq and Jeremy are both average, averaging seventeen points a game, and we need people to score seventeen points a game. It's just, it's a very ugly and uninspired seventeen mm-hmm. points a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that could help with that would be more spacing, but I don't think you're like, I think, don't think you're going to like Ben, uh, where I'm going to go with this. <laughs> uh, Kelly Olenek came in at the end of the Philadelphia game, um, with the rest of the starters and you could see the difference on offense. It was a, it was a big spark. Um, you tweeted that Olenek taking minutes, minutes from Isaiah Stewart is going to really, really bother you this season. Um, it's like I I don't think we needed 
Isaiah Stewart to be like the 2019 version of Brooke Lopez out there, like shooting <laughs> no. you know, 30 footers. But uh, I do think the Pistons need a little bit more offensively, just from like a skill from a skills uh, from a skill position uh, from their center. So, what do you think about you know taking Isaiah Stewart out of the starting lineup and replacing him with Kelly Olynyk, Ben? Oh, I don't care who starts. Um, I, I think it's like, well, they're they're going to lose a lot of games and they, they're going to lose a lot of games in a way that's not going to be close. Right. So it, it's it is kind of like less about who finishes just because you'll, you'll end up finishing with a Motley crew most nights. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally anticipated Jeremy Grant, Kelly Olenek front court closing games like that is not in any way a surprise to me. And I'm not even saying it's wrong it's probably i mean almost undisputably correct and the right thing to do i think the thing that annoys me and is going to be hard for me to deal with is kind of what i dealt with a season ago when you know at times stewart was just clearly outplaying mason Plumley. the the question is like what's the end game here um you know if if it is the case that once we get cade cunningham fully healthy and he's out there closing games and it makes more strategic sense for him to play with Kelly Olenek because, you know, Cade Cunningham is the future of the franchise and you need to give him room to operate and, and utilize and develop his skill sets. Then, then I'm, I get that. I think, you know, so far this season, obviously Cade Cunningham has not been in that role yet. And the only game that, you know, they won the magic game. I don't know where any of the other games actually winnable, uh, the the first Chicago game was vaguely winnable. Yeah, I, I guess the question is like, you know, what are you what are you accomplishing by not playing Isaiah Stewart in at least some of those situations? Um, you know, Olenek is too good offensively to just ride the bench. Obviously, you don't you don't sign him to a you know ten or twelve or whatever million dollars a year to ride the bench. But I guess I just it feels to me. Like it makes a lot of short term sense, but I just wonder if maybe there's some long term payoff that you're missing out on. And it, it could be the case, Laz, and you know, we don't see the internal development stuff that's going on. It could just be that Isaiah Stewart's offensive game just isn't there and in game minutes aren't gonna change that. Um, so maybe I just need to defer to the coaches and not worry so much about it. But it just feels, I guess, a little short-sighted at times for for Stewart, who has played so solidly, to just feel like hard-capped at 22 to 24 minutes a game because they have a veteran who's better offensively, I guess. That's fair. I do think it, it's been really interesting to me that, like, Stewart, Stewart is averaging, what, like, nine points and seven and a half rebounds. So it's not like he's... He hasn't played poorly enough to like quote unquote lose his starting job, right? He's not he's not been bad this season. It's just that with with the newfound um priority on isolation play with, you know, the the need to get Jeremy Grant and Sadiq Bay and Cade Cunningham um their isolation touches with the, you know, with uh, a point guard in Killian Hayes who could really take advantage of the extra spacing um, and like, needs that extra spacing to to be able to succeed at the NBA level uh, at this point in time. It it just seems like 
it's a better fit for the other four guys in the starting lineup. But at the same time, if Stewart were, uh, if Stewart were shooting the ball, uh, if Stewart were even like looking to shoot some of those perimeter shots, he was looking to shoot at the end of the year uh, last year. It's like, I think this is much less of a question. Like, I don't, I don't want to insinuate that like Stewart is like an equally good floor spacing threat uh, as Kelly Olenek, but, uh, but there have been multiple times when, um, you know, Sadiq and Jeremy like aren't isolating and we've seen, you know, Isaiah Stewart holding the ball 28 feet or you know, 23 feet from the rim looking uh, to start some motion offense to get some dribble handoffs going and his guys, you know, all the way below the free throw line and he's not even looking at the rim. And I think that's a problem. Um, do I like this is before the year before the regular season even started, you know, we both said we wanted to see Isaiah Stewart like shoot more threes. He's only shot three of them in five games this year. Um, that that's not going to get it done from from an offensive perspective. You know, mi- miss them, make them, whatever the case may be. You you need to it's like that was something that like really uh, offered a lot, made a lot of like his offensive upside uh, like a lot higher. And so for him not to even like think about doing that this year um, so far, you know, it's still early, still only five games, but for him not to even look at the rim at some of these possessions has been really frustrating. And I think that's part of the reason why, like we're even talking about this as a question, right? If he were, if he were shooting, you know, 1.5 threes a game and making 30% of them, even if that's like, you know, like four threes over the course of the season or something like that, I still would feel a lot better about like this offense and like where it was headed. Oh, I definitely like him to shoot. I mean, I think, you know, the, ba- the balance he's got to strike is, you know, when to crash and when to space. And he clearly is, he, he clearly is not, well, I shouldn't say he's not spacing because he is trying. He's just not doing it viably because the defense can ignore it. Um, so I think you're absolutely correct. He should look to take some of these shots I will say he has looked extraordinarily uncomfortable on the three threes that he has taken. Like he doesn't believe they're even going to come close. (laughs) So I don't know, maybe, maybe he's just really not confident in his shot right now. Maybe he's really struggling with his shot behind the scenes in a way that we don't see because you're right. Like, I I mean, he's got to at least have, he's got to command at least some respect from the defense, even if it's, you know, even if he's only shooting 30%, like they still have to believe he's going to take it. Uh, or else they're just going to do exactly what they're doing, which is just, you know, camp out in the the half circle. So I, I think you're right about that. Yeah, I, I had the Orlando Magic uh, TV feed for the game yesterday, and uh, Stewart had a good game, right? But even the Magic announcers were kind of struck by how often they were like, "Oh, there's Isaiah Stewart. He's just like sitting under the rim all the time," and it's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of a problem when your team is uh, based around when the the theme of the team so far is like based around spacing to have one guy just kind of sitting in the lane or not really adding much offensively kind of a problem kind of a problem i will say the counterpoint to changing up the rotation the the starting lineup is the rotation and the chemistry that Olympic seems to have with the second unit um you know you mentioned team canada and the experience that some of those guys have together um you know that i think would be the main argument i don't care who starts like to me that that doesn't matter what matters most is getting guys in the position to succeed. And I do think, you know, Olenek is certainly thriving in that second unit, knowing, you know, sort of what his role is in that unit. Um, and, 
you know, we'll talk about the second unit in a minute. They've actually been a lot more deadly at times, not always, but at times. Um, so I wonder if maybe that would be disruptive. I'm not sure. No, that's a good point. Um, and there is definitely like chemistry between Kelly and Corey Joseph and Kelly and Trey Lyles even. There's been some like really interesting to me, uh, like big to big high low passing between Olenek and Lyles that um, we don't. Uh, like we haven't seen from a bench unit in like quite some time and uh, they're getting like one or two easy baskets a game off of that. And that that's really uh, been needed for a team that struggled as on offense as much as the Pistons have. Um, So it's actually, that's, that's a really good point. Um, Let's just talk about the bench. We're going to, we're getting more, we got Killian next on the sheet. We're going to talk about Killian. I promise you guys know I wouldn't (laughs) go podcast without talking about Killian. Let's talk about the bench though. Uh, The bench played, really good this week and played exceptionally well against Orlando in particular. Um, Josh Jackson introduces a ton of chaos for good and ill, but he was good against the, uh, the Orlando magic shot three of five from three was, uh, had like a really nice chase down block on a Wagner. I don't remember which Wagner, but it was, <laughs> it was one of them. Um, Corey Joseph had his first good game of the season against the Orlando magic. Uh, Ben, should we, should we be in as much love with the bench as, uh, Dwayne Casey appears to be? (laughs) Well, I said preseason that I thought the second unit, there would be games where the second unit would completely outshine the starters because you've got seasoned veterans and young guys who are figuring out their lives in the NBA world. And I think we saw that in Orlando, probably for the, the first time in a really concrete way. Um, you know, the bench won that game. I mean, I think the starters held their own and played fine, but really it was the second unit that sort of, um, I think, kind of opened things up. You know, in particular, our young backcourt struggled mightily against Orlando. Um, Corey Joseph was a very stabilizing presence. Kelly Olynyk was a very stabilizing presence. And, you, you know, Trey Lyles has been unexpectedly, you know, just super steady and solid, right? So that, that second unit, Uh, You know, Frank Jackson has obviously struggled mightily. Um, Not sure where Hamadou Diallo's role is, but look, there's lots to like. And as you mentioned, when John, when Josh Jackson makes shots, he's just so much fun to watch because I just, I love his defense. I love that the chase down block is becoming a signature for him. You know, his shot blocks are always electric too, right? Like they're just always so exciting. So, you know, when the jumper's falling for, for Josh, he's just an absolute, joy to watch i absolutely love it now when the jumper's not falling it's a different different story but um yeah i mean should we love the second unit as much as Dwayne casey uh even if we don't love it i think we're gonna have to get used to it because i think i personally think that Dwayne casey did a lot of the right things against the magic last night i think getting that win matters i think you know nights like that are going to be more rare than we would like them to be um, especially because the schedule is so tough over the first 10 games. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're going to have to anticipate and be prepared for that because there are going to be games where we want to get a win. I think Orlando was one of those games, and the second unit happened to be the group that was playing playing well, playing well enough to get the win. And if we were doing that 82 times a season, I think it would be frustrating because we'd mm-hmm. be robbing our young guys of those experiences. But I think... When it's done strategically, as in my opinion, it was done last night, I, I'm I'm fully on board with it because you you don't want to go 0 and 5 and face the next four that we have to face because you're looking at 0 and 9 or 0 and 10 really, really easily. So uh, 
I liked what we did with the second unit against Orlando. Uh, and I get the impression that even if Casey's not going to say it in a presser, I get the impression that that's being done very strategically on those nights where you know you have a winnable game and you want to get a win under your belt. I agree. I think the thing that makes the biggest difference for me between the bench and the starters right now is the ball and people movement. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. Without without anyone that they feel that they have to develop uh, offensively like a Sadiq Bay on that bench unit, they can play a lot freer and they can pay, play a lot faster. I think that's definitely something we've seen over the course of these first five games that the bench plays a lot faster than the starters end up playing. Um, talked about those those high-low passes between Kelly Olenek and Trey Lyles. Um, versus Orlando, the bench had 15 of the 26 assists for the Pistons, and they shot you know 9 of 19 for 3, and I think the starters made 5 threes. They went like 5 of some ungodly number from 3. And so with the better ball and people movement, the, the bench is going to continue to be more effective. Um, I hope we see some of that in the starting lineup as uh, as time goes on, um, but I don't I don't expect to see it anytime soon. But yeah, as the you know even as bad as like Corey Joseph has been for these the first four games, not against Orlando for the first four games, and as you know inconsistent as Josh Jackson like can be from three, um, I think as long as you're as long as you're playing the less of like the the motion offense where uh, nobody is actually like trying to penetrate to the rim and everybody's just kind of standing around like waiting for somebody to isolate. I think is if you're, if you're actually like trying to get the ball to the rim and make uh, and get kickouts and make plays from there. I think if you're trying to do like weird stuff, like a Kelly Olenek, Trey Lyles pick and roll that works because they have a lot of chemistry. Or if you're trying to, you know, do a lot of pick and pops with Kelly Olenek and, uh, and Corey Joseph, because defenses have to respect both of those guys, uh, you know, making pull up threes. Um, I think we're going to see the bench be more fluid uh, offensively than the starters, despite the uh, despite the lack of like quote unquote like offensive talent. I don't think anyone would say the the starters are are a, a worse uh, offensive like grouping than than the bench. Um, and as for your point about like needing to win that Orlando game, I agree with that. Um, there. It was interesting to see people like not be as enthused about that. And, you know, I get it. You know, I've been frustrated with Killian only playing like six fourth quarter minutes or so like this entire season. Like that hasn't been fun. But yeah, when you look at the schedule, which we're going to at like the end of this podcast, starting 0-9 was a real possibility. And if uh, I believe their 10th game is against Houston and Houston is also like like Orlando projected to be a pretty bad team. Um, and if you lost that game as well, um, all of a sudden you're staring like 0 and 13, 0 and 14 in the face. And at that point, like the narrative of like what the season is like, like shifts dramatically for the team, right? Like becomes like, why are the Pistons the only winless team left in the NBA? Like what is the, it was like, they got the number one pick and, and, they're, and they're still this bad. Like what's going on to Detroit? What's wrong with Detroit? Like Troy Weaver, we thought Troy Weaver turned this thing around really quickly, but now they're 0-13. Like, this this is bad. And so I think avoiding avoiding a lot of that stuff is worth, you know, Corey Joseph playing 18 consecutive minutes to <laughs> close the game, right? And so we, not dealing with that is, is worth it in and of itself. 
All right, Ben. Uh, now we're going to loop back around and talk about Killian Hayes. Killian Hayes has had a uh, fairly weird uh, start to the season. Um, he scored in double digits against the scored double yeah scored in double digits against the Hawks. Had nine points against the Sixers. Um, would have had more except for that uh, that offensive foul call against Kelly Olynyk that people didn't like. Um, he's finally taking. He's finally uh, once he escaped the clutches of Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball, he actually started shooting the ball, which was good to see. Um, it's a low sample, and he's still been inefficient overall. But he's shooting forty four percent on catch and shoot aka zero dribble threes are you surprised by that number ben okay so i'm glad you pulled that stat because his catch and shoot just comfort level looks so much different than it did a season ago like he looks completely willing and ready to shoot the ball when he catches it as opposed to a season ago where i don't know to me it looked like he only looked comfortable shooting off the dribble so i am thrilled that that number is as good as it is because it matches what i've been seeing and i was actually going to point that out the catch and shoot killian hayes i hope is real because it, it certainly looks like it's real just eyeballing it yeah i think and i also think that portends him playing well with cade right i didn't get the sense that um i think killian handled the ball a little bit more than cade when they were on the floor together um but i didn't get the sense that like uh, either one of them was deferring to the other, and they both struggled uh, shooting the ball in that Orlando game. But there will be definitely be times where Cade like breaks down a defense and kicks to a, a wide open Killian, and if he's going to shoot, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of forty percent from threes from three on those type of shots, like that's going to be good for both of them. That's going to cause guys to close out a little bit harder on Killian, making it easier for him to drive to the basket and and do the things that uh, he does well, like kick the ball out to open shooters uh, when he drives out, when uh, he drives to the basket. And so I think that that will, that will definitely help. Um, we can, we can say that number though, and still admit that Killian has not been amazing offensively uh, inside the arc. Um, he had a couple, he had a couple very ugly turnovers against the Orlando magic, um, which is the, I think that was his first like really bad turnover game. Um, Perhaps I'm, I'm forgetting a Chicago game or, or something like that. But uh, yeah, the the really ugly pass to Isaiah Stewart uh, under the rim that had no chance of getting there. Uh, a pass to Jeremy Grant who wasn't paying attention because <laughs> because he was getting pressured by Cole Anthony uh, bringing the ball up the court. It's just like yeah, that was that's the kind of things you would hope to see uh, eliminated from Killian's game in time. But I am grateful that we have uh, grateful's a weird word. But I'm I'm glad we have like something uh, coherent for Killian to do offensively that he can build upon, and it's coherent offensively as a complement to Cade Cunningham because I think that that, that backcourt pairing is going to be really important um, for the Pistons team moving forward. Uh, what do you think of Cade and Killian defensively, Ben? It was really noticeable to me uh, just watching the game like from my couch. That uh, you know, against the Orlando Magic, you know, Cole Anthony, I think, is listed at six two. Jalen Suggs is listed at six four. It's like Caden Killian are way bigger than those dudes and uh, played like it defensively uh, at times. What do you think of that defensive pairing? No, I think you're right. I think the size and the length, in particular, is really attractive defensively. Um, you know, the the offense is where they're going to have to prove they can play together. We've seen some tidbits, as you've mentioned, but defensively, I mean, you it just makes sense. Like both of them being so young, but so 
ready to defend at an NBA level is a luxury. Uh, it fits nicely, I think, with Coach Casey's philosophy, which, as far as I can tell, is if you defend well, you know, you you get a little bit of slack on offense, right? You can you can miss shots, and that's okay. But uh, if you don't defend, you're not going to play. And so, you know, I think it, it works well that both of those guys are ready to defend. I think um, both of them obviously have. God, it sounds so, so cliche to say high basketball IQ, but it it really is. Like they both see the game the way point guards do, I think, offensively and defensively. And that translates into, you know, they're not going to be perfect. They're both super young. They're going to make some coverage mistakes and so on. But, no, I mean, you can certainly envision, at least on defense, three or four years from now, those two guys being a pretty pretty lockdown pairing, I think, which, gosh, the Pistons haven't had that since, really, I mean, since Chauncey and Rip, right, back in the heyday. So, yeah, you can absolutely see a bright future defensively for those two. You you didn't love the Reggie Jackson KCP lockdown defense, but I don't oh, know, I God. can't even finish that sentence. Oh, <laughs> okay, let's let's just move on and pretend I didn't say that. So Ben, um, the Pistons as a team are shooting twenty seven percent from three, but they have proven themselves capable to hit some shots against Philly. They made thirteen threes, but like six of them came in the fourth quarter. Uh, against Orlando, they made 14 threes, and they made nine of their last 17 threes. Um, the shooting is coming along in spurts, but still not there overall. And I thought it was interesting um, what Kuka Hill said on an episode of Locked on Pistons earlier this week. Um, he mentioned that the Pistons were getting a lot of uh, literally like statistically wide open looks. What the NBA defines as wide open looks was a, a defender like not within uh, six feet of the uh the player like when they're attempting the shot and they're still not just make they're still not just like knocking those shots down so ben uh do you think do you think uh they will ever knock down some open shots do you or do you think they were just kind of like we're kind of stuck like this oh of course they're gonna make them i mean we saw this last season too right i mean not just last season as the pistons have reshaped the roster around shooting which they've you know they've made a concerted effort to do you know, I remember stretches like this a season ago where the shots don't fall and, you, you know, you get trapped in the, the thinking, like, what on earth are we doing? We have these terrible shooters, no space, we're going to suck forever. Well, no, that's not going to happen. Frank Jackson doesn't go from a 40% shooter to a 20-something percent shooter because he forgot how to shoot, right? It's a shooting slump. It's going to happen. Sneak Bay is not going to continue to struggle from three, relatively speaking, right? He's just adjusting to you know, a completely new role for him offensively. And I think that's, you know, that's knocking down his opportunities for open looks. He's taking more contested threes, I think, than he was a season ago and so on. So, yeah, I mean, this, you know, will will Cade and Killian eventually become good three-point shooters? Eh, maybe not this season, but I think we can anticipate um, at least improvement on those fronts. So, yeah, th- there are too many guys who are legitimately good shooters who are just struggling mightily right now and and that is going to change it's just going to be a matter of when Uh, and when they do shoot well look they're going to go on five game stretches where they shoot the ball obscenely well and they're going to beat some teams that they have absolutely no business beating because that that's the nba randomness happens you have hot streaks and cold streaks so it's going to turn around and it's going to be a lot of fun when it happens because when the whole team shoots well you know they're going to score 120 130 points some night and we're going to be celebrating and having a blast so we just gotta we gotta ride it out and keep that in context when we have these cold stretches it's just unfortunate because you know happened at a really awful time the first five games of the season no one likes to start the season this way 
Uh, it's not going to stay like this forever. It's just not going to. And you could see this happening against Philadelphia, right? When they were making the run that they were making at yep. the end of the game to close the gap. It's like, that is how their offense is going to look when guys make shots. And it looked pretty good. Um, you know, Killian, you know, hitting Sadiq in the corner for a wide open three. Kelly Olenek, uh, you know, hitting a couple threes and, and pulling Joel Embiid, like, uh, out of the paint. It was just, like, that's that's how things are going to go in time, and it's it's going to look good. Uh, it, you're right, Ben. It is just kind of rough that it's happening uh, right now. Okay, speaking of Joel Embiid, Ben. This is the most important question I'm going to ask you this week. <laughs> what did you think of the Luca Garza minutes against Joel Embiid? Well, to put a positive spin on it, I don't think you can say anyone wearing a Pistons jersey defended Joel Embiid perfectly. <laughs> and uh, Luca Garza looked like the JV center going up against the varsity center. That's about as positively I can put it. I mean... Yeah, Embiid ate him up. There's no, there's just no doubt about it. But hey, at least you know Luca knocked down a three, so we'll, we'll take the three. And uh, I, I don't think that m- made or broke the game. I mean, it, it wasn't helpful, <laughs> but uh, Embiid was just a, a force. He was too much for the Pistons inside, um, and Luca just kind of, I think, you know, his weaknesses were readily and visibly apparent in that matchup. I am going to be nice to Luca. Uh, I liked how unafraid of the matchup he was. Oh, for sure. I agree. Yeah. There are a lot of dudes who would come in and be like, oh, crap, that's Joel Embiid. He's really big. And uh, just kind of proceed to follow him four times and give up. And Luca most definitely did not do that. Uh, you, you mentioned the made three pointer. I believe that came like directly after uh, Embiid like, hit a shot in his face, right? And so you loved the fact that Luca like went right back at him. Uh, went down the court, like ran a pick and pop and made a three. Um, you you love that competitive mindset. Uh, but yeah, that was that was a rough stretch for Luca. But like you mentioned, Ben, that was a rough stretch for everybody on the Pistons. Joel Embiid is a supremely talented player. The Pistons don't are aren't you know aren't really equipped to defend at this point in time with this roster. And so uh I did but I did like that uh Luca competed as hard against Joel Embiid as he did. And I'm trying super hard to not sound patronizing when I say that, but I really mean it. He, he it's like, I liked how he fought uh, against Joel Embiid. All right, Ben, uh, the Pistons play Brooklyn tonight on the back-to-back. They play in Brooklyn. So that's a, a road game. So traveling on the second half of a back-to-back. Then they play the Bucks on Tuesday, the Sixers again on Thursday and uh, Brooklyn again on Friday. So they play Brooklyn twice on back-to-backs, but at least the second one uh, will be a home game. So that's a that's what that's a Eastern Conference finalist. No, no, no. The uh, the Bucks went or the um, Brooklyn went out in the second round. Sorry, that's just a team projected to be in the Eastern Conference Finals, the reigning NBA champ, and uh, the Philadelphia 76ers. So uh, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a good week, huh, Ben? It's gonna be a rough. It's gonna be a rough week. Um, I don't like their odds, but hey, like like I said, one of those games could be the game where everybody catches fire and they win one. Um, just doesn't seem very likely. This is this is gonna be. I anticipate a a pretty tough week. Let's hope that you know maybe Josh Jackson has a monster block against one of those Brooklyn Nets that we don't like to talk about or something like that. I think like on, on one hand, I do enjoy it's like oh hey we get three home games this week. That's really good. And then you look and it's against uh, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and Brooklyn. You're like man, okay, never well, mind. And uh, it's kind of like you know you have to play Brooklyn and you have to play back-to-backs so like 
get them both out of the way at the same time twice, that that's okay. I can live with that, right? Because you're you're going to struggle in back to backs, and you're going to struggle against Brooklyn. So double whammy. That's true. Uh, getting two birds with one stone. That's that's not a bad way to look at it. Um, if they if if they play some really terrible basketball, I have no clue what we're going to talk about in the podcast. We'll figure something out. But uh, <laughs> we always yeah, do. A, yeah, that's true. All right, Ben. Uh, let the people know where they can find you where they can find uh, what you've been working on and uh, where they can find whatever uh, get up you guys did for Halloween. <laughs> yeah. Well, Halloween preparation starts as soon as we get off the podcast here today. So uh, at BR Golker on Twitter, those Halloween pics are probably on Instagram, same username. You can find me there as well. And uh, for any of my fellow Michigan football fans out there, I'm still waiting for someone to respond to my tweet and tell me why Jim Harbaugh's X's and O's deserve to get him fired. So if someone wants to make that case in a compelling way to me, uh, feel free to reach out. I'd love to hear it. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at last chance. It's at L A Z C H A N C E. We already have some pictures in the bin of the, uh, of the little one in, uh, in his Halloween getup. Uh, we ordered it too large. And so he looks kind of ridiculous, <laughs> but he's small. So it's a fun kind of ridiculous. So it'll be fine. And you can check those out. I'll, I'll put some of those on Twitter. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. And we will talk to you all next week after the Pistons go 0-4. See ya. <laughs>